Blog Talk Radio. Here's Robin. I'm milling about with Jane Homlish. And Jane was uh, Bob Guccione's personal assistant um, for, like, what, 35 years, Jane? Yes, just a little under 35 years. Wow. And this is a fabulous documentary. It's called Filthy Gorgeous. Where did that title come from? Do you know? Well, that was definitely Barry Averick's doing, and um, I'm assuming that it really had something to do with the fact that, you know, it was a gorgeous surrounding, and it was a, the girls were gorgeous, and but at the same time, you know, it could be read as uh, a little bit dirty, you know, for the reason that the many of the women were naked in Penthouse Magazine, but it, uh, it was an environment, for me at least, that was very inspiring and full of incredible artwork. Yeah. Masters, impressionists, post-impressionists. And for me, the surrounding was everything, but um, just amazing. You know, it was a world in itself. How did you get the job, Jane? When I first came into New York, I came as somebody who was just basically a love child. I had actually gone to Woodstock. I oh, wow. I just believed in love, peace, and happiness. And uh, I, But I had also traveled. I had gone from Italy to India overland. I traveled through Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, and I traveled by myself for seven months. Um, and it was an incredible adventure and one that was very inspiring in that I learned so much about culture, art, religion, and I was somebody who had gone to Catholic school and was very spiritual but felt like there had to be something more, and Bob was very much the same. Bob had thought he was going to be a priest. I had thought I was going to be a nun. <laughs> we were both searching for this truth. We thought that um, life was much more than what we could see on the surface, and so we both had this desire to to grow and learn and and explore, and we both loved art. We loved art. I was looking at Caravaggio and Michelangelo and Bellini, and Bob was doing the very same thing. So what happened was when I was in New York, I had gone to an agency. The agency referred me to Penthouse. I didn't even know what Penthouse was. Really? Because you were a nice Catholic girl. Why would you know Penthouse? Oh, I I had no idea. (laughs) Uh, Went there um, and sat in the reception area, looked to the left of me on a table and went, "Uh uh-oh. Because I saw a penthouse magazine, and I thought, now what am I going to do? And the vice president came out, Erwin Billman, and he uh, had a nice chat with me and thought that my attitude was so positive, and I couldn't wipe the smile off my face because that's just how I was. And he said, I want you to be our receptionist. So the first day that I worked for the company, I had heard about Bob Guccione. I heard that he had this deep voice, that he ran the company by himself, that he worked out of a little suite in the Drake Hotel, that his sisters were both working in the office, his father was the treasurer, it was a family-run company, and I was extremely curious because that was my nature, being that I had traveled and mm-hmm. you know done so much exploring, and when Bob called to speak to his sister, who was in public relations, I recognized that that voice had to be his. Oh, my God, you wouldn't, you have to know his voice. It was so distinguished. Yes. So I said, Mr. Guccione, my name is Jane. You don't know who I am, but I would really like to meet you. Wow, you had balls. I had balls. But, you know, I mean, it was just so spontaneous. It was totally spontaneous. So his sister, after conversing with her brother, came out to the reception area and said, tomorrow my brother would like to meet you. 
Wow. And you will have to go to the suite at the Drake Hotel. I did exactly what I was told. I went to the suite at the Drake Hotel, went into an area where I was sitting, waiting and waiting for Bob. He wasn't coming out. He wasn't coming out. His phones kept ringing. I started picking up his phones and taking messages. When he finally came out, I said, Mr. Guccione, I am Jane. Here's your messages. And he sat down, and we talked for probably an hour and a half. We talked about our travels. We talked about art. We talked about religion. The questions he asked me were incredibly profound. He asked me, do you believe in God? Hmm. You know, That's an interesting question on a job interview. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But it was everything I actually knew would make him my mentor. Mm. And my final statement to him before I left him was, throughout life, find teachers. And that was definitely how I lived. And I was searching always for somebody that could teach me something I didn't know or needed to know. Or, And so when I left with that statement, you know, I went into the office the third day and they looked at me and said, you'll be working with Bob from now on. Fantastic, fantastic story. So that, how did your parents feel, Jane, when you told them you were working for Penthouse? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I've often wanted to... to uh, talk about that, but um, my mom was actually, you know, slightly concerned and embarrassed and would often say to me, Jane, if someone asks you what you're doing, you tell them you're working for a publisher, no need, no need to bring up Penthouse, no need to bring up Bob Guccione, you know. So I would sort of go along with it, but over time, uh, my mom recognized that Bob was not only somebody that I was learning from tremendously and that I was actually becoming the curator of his art collection, which of course was one of the finest private owned art collections in the world. And so being that I was the curator of his collection, the curator of his home, being that he respected me as much as he did, I spent more hours with Bob Guccione than anybody, his entire family, including his wife. I worked with him seven days a week sometimes, went to his uh, mansion on the Hudson River in Rhinebeck, worked from there. Because I was so, so challenged, you know, the challenge never ended, and it was always something different. So, but my mom recognized over time, and my dad, that this man uh, was somebody who respected me tremendously, whom I was growing with, who was, uh, you know, forever challenging me, which is something I always needed. And when my mom met him, um, my mom is 95 years old now, oh, and an wow. absolute beautiful woman, and incredibly bright and incredibly, you know, motivated and very active. And my dad died at 94 about two years ago. But when they met Bob, the first thing Bob did was act so gracious that that word, I think, escapes most people in today's world. But he was gracious, and he was um, so so genuine and you know he told my mom how pretty she was and she really is and was even at an older age that must have sold her right there yeah I'm sure it did <laughs> I'm sure it did so it was a great time and my, I, ever since then and even before that they began to recognize that you know yes I was working for Penthouse Magazine but my position was one that was just so involved that uh, the magazine was just a portion of it you know I did edit that magazine every month and worked with Bob till 4 and 5 in the morning getting that magazine on the newsstand, on time. Mm-hmm. And I was the one who assigned all of the work to the photographers and even created sometimes the, the sets and the, the, the whole concept behind the, the photo shoot. And I was the one who interviewed the models. And so, yes, I was very uh, engaged in the magazine, but 
it was a portion of so many other things that I did. Well, you know, so many times personal assistants are told to do duties sort of above and beyond. So was Bob like that? Like, did he want you to do his laundry and do his food shopping and that kind of thing? No, never. No, never. No, that I never did any secretarial work. I never did any like you know fetching of any things. I, honestly, my position was so uh, respected that um, I basically ran the office. I ran an entire staff. All communication from the office to Bob's home, which is where I worked from, twenty-seven thousand square foot home, and I always worked from his home because he would work until four and five in the morning, and as I would put it, sometimes the hardest part of my job was to keep his hours. Yeah. So, you know, Did you sleep the, there ever? Oh, yeah. Many. I mean, I had my own suite. I could stay there any time I wished. And the house was set up at 27,000 square feet where your suite was on either end of the house with this big sitting room and fireplace and wow. beautiful dressing room. And you had total privacy. And um, it was like being in your own two-bedroom apartment, uh, maybe even bigger than that in Manhattan. But it was, it was really quite comfortable. And it was very easy for me to stay there anytime I, I wanted to, you know, because of the hours. You know, since you were there and you were sort of hands-on, what were some of the outrageous things that you saw working <laughs> for him? You know, it, it is a comedy. It's a, it's, it's, that house was almost a, a comedy scene because, um, you know, we loved animals. Bob loved animals. Bob's wife, Kathy, loved animals. Um, and because she was originally from South Africa, the first dogs that we brought into the house were were called Rhodesian Ridgebacks, and they roar almost instead of growl. And so these two dogs were the first dogs that we had in the house, and then over time we had 11 Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Oh, my goodness. 11. And you had to walk them and pick up their poop. <laughs> yeah, no, we had our own. We, we had our own dog walkers employed. Wow. Twenty four hours on payroll, with with insurance, with health benefits, working just for the dogs. So these dogs were well taken care of. But with girls that would stay in the house periodically, and nobody really stayed in the house um, for any length of time. And we would just have them there when we would be doing special promotions or maybe the pet of the year shoot, which Bob took responsibility for every year until he got a little bit older and he thought it was inappropriate, so he stopped doing it. But um, So the girls would come and stay, and they would like to sort of sneak around at night, you know, and we had a rule that if anybody was in the house, they had to come back at night if they went out. They were not allowed to stay out all night. But the dogs were, were sort of like watchdogs. So when the girls, and they would plant themselves all throughout the house. So when the girls were sneaking around, you know, the dogs would like, <laughs> and you'd hear the girls running back in the room and closing the door. Not that they were prisoners, but, you know, if you didn't know the dogs, they were very intimidating. And at the same time, you know, they would never hurt you. But So we had people in that house, I think, often as guests, and I'm talking about business partners as well, that we were always in fear of these giant ridgebacks that we just took for granted and would literally sit in our laps if we wanted them to, but, you know, they would terrorize our guests. <laughs> We'd have cocktail parties, and these dogs would come along, and, like, because they were so big, pony size, you know, they'd sort of plop their head on the table, and, you know, it was, uh, you'd see somebody quietly slipping a little food into the dog's mouth so he would go away, you know, because they would scare people, but um, that was just one of the sort of humorous sides of living and existing in that house, but... You know, lots of uh, adventures, I must say, lots of adventures, but probably ones that, like Bob said, Jane, you're the only person I know that can keep a secret. Ah, uh, well, did you keep all the secrets in this documentary? Uh, yes, I, I, didn't, I didn't reveal any secrets. Interesting, even to this day. 
even to this day. Wow. Yeah. You know, one of the things that they did, that they did uh, bring up in the documentary was his affair with uh, Victoria Johnson. Um, yes. Were you, did you know about this as it was going on? Because being his yeah. personal assistant, you might have, you know, yeah. been asked to do that. Yeah. Um, I was aware, but, um, you know, I have to say, every girl that worked intimately with Bob, and Bob made sure that when he photographed these girls, it was one-on-one. I'd be on the other side of the studio door and be prepared to, like, take care of anything that he needed. But when he was in the studio shooting, it was him and the girl. And it was done for that reason because he would work with these girls over three days and sometimes longer, especially if they had to go away and work on location. And all of our photographers were instructed to work on a three-day basis. First day, kind of getting to know them, developing a friendship, you know, developing trust, talking about, you know, clothing, about, you know, styling. And, and then the next day, taking some photos. And by the third day, doing things that would require a little bit more intimacy. And as Bob always put it, it always had to have a voyeuristic approach. He preferred that when the photographers photographed these girls, they not be looking into the camera, they not be performing for the camera, but they be doing something for their own personal, sexual, sensual gratification and that somebody was lucky enough to look in. So that's how he would try to portray these uh, girls in a very impressionist style, like Degas with the bathers. And Bob owned two Degas bathers. So anyway, these girls would develop this intimacy and this, this desire, desire to be with Bob forever. Another story of my being there is that every girl wanted to get close to me because they thought it would get them closer to Bob. That's what I was going to ask you, yeah. Every girl Mm -hmm. would try to tell me something that they thought was special and try to share with me something that they thought might make their relationship with Bob special and could I possibly tell them, tell Bob something? You know, so it was always Jane, 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 Jane. Jane, take a look at my breasts. Aren't they beautiful? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, really. I can't tell you how many girls were taking my hand and sort of pressing it to their breasts so that I could see how beautiful, I mean, really, silly stuff like that. And I'd be going, oh, yeah, they're just lovely, lovely, lovely. Oh, that's but, great. Yeah, silly stuff. I mean, you don't know how these girls would be in terms of of make, convincing me that they were the most beautiful girl on earth and that their relationship with Bob was the most special. Did he ever draw you? Uh, as a model or as a as somebody more intimate than the best friend on earth or in what however way. however you want to interpret that question you go <laughs> yeah you know i don't know that anybody was closer to bob than i was I, I really believe in my heart i was probably one of the closest people in his life and i i know that's true i mean bob had uh put in his will to my dear friend jane and um when he's a dear friend i i know what he meant there's no doubt that everybody that knew us recognized that we were pretty much inseparable. And um, I, I really loved him in a way that I probably have never loved anybody. But, um, and I think Bob would say that about me as well. We were so, so, so close. But we often agreed that, you know, being in the magazine when I was much younger would have actually been a deterrent from everything that I accomplished with Bob and that I needed to accomplish and, you know, the the sort of respect that I got from his lawyers and his, you know, everybody that was in business with him. So we, and we we maintained a very um, private, uh, secret um, relationship that, uh, you know, was, was, 
precious, a precious. You know, what was interesting, Jane, is I'm watching the film, and um, you often see him smoking, and ironically, he died from throat cancer. Mm -hmm. Did did anybody ever during his life say, you have to stop, you have to stop this, you're doing too much excess in your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bob um, would be smoking a cigarette, and he'd have another one still burning in the ashtray. Oh, my. And Yeah, and because the hours he kept... I mean, he would smoke until 4 or 5 in the morning, but I, cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. Yeah. So we moved from the suite in the Drake Hotel to a house on 63rd Street, which once belonged to Judy Garland. Oh, wow. But we only leased it. Uh-huh. And we leased it from a man who was a doctor. And the first thing he said to Bob is, if you don't quit smoking, you will die. Uh. And it hit Bob so hard to hear it from somebody who wasn't kissing his ass because at that point in his life, everybody was kissing ass because they all thought that Bob had money and power and prestige and influence. And to hear it from a stranger who in turn was a doctor just floored Bob and he quit overnight. But I'm telling you, I was with him during that time that he went through withdrawal from cigarettes and... I mean, he broke out into sweats. He couldn't leave his room. You know, he was... Like an addiction. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. so bad for him. It was very, very, very difficult. But he never went back. And the cancer in his throat um, is probably a result of quitting smoking. But he had quit so many years before that that it's unbelievable how it can haunt you that many years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very sad, sad way to go. Yeah. Um, do you do you dream sometimes about him? As, do you feel like he's around you because you were so close? You know, I love your questions. Thank you. I do. I was so um, affected when this whole documentary came out and when this whole, you know, review of my time with Bob came about because, you know, I had almost, like, left it behind me and um, to just go through it all over again was incredibly uh, heart-wrenching yeah heart-wrenching yeah heart-wrenching um, but uh, yes I do dream about him um, with this documentary I uh, feel like he's been in my life even more again more so um, he does like come to me in my dreams um, you know, because we shared so much together and at the most ridiculous hours and over such long hours, we would also get, like, giddy and silly and, you know, 4, 3 o'clock in the morning, we'd entertain each other by, you know, telling jokes or reading cart- or, or reviewing cartoons that we needed to put in the magazine and laughing and going downstairs and he loved to cook, so he would cook for me and he'd make me something special and we'd eat together and so, yes, I do think of him, I do relive these little episodes Sometimes Bob is in my life to such an extent, so in such reality, that um, I'll actually wake up and be startled that he isn't there. I mean, I actually am feeling like he's there. Mm. So I I imagine, um, and this is the first time, by the way, I've ever experienced this, ever. Mm -hmm. Because even with the loss of my father, I I didn't, um, you know, I, I would think of him, but not really see him like that. I think, you know, Bob will probably be with me until the day I die. I remember to this day, one of the things he would say was that I believe when we die, we go to where we want to be the most. Mm. And in fact, if that's true, I I believe I'm going to see Bob again. Uh, And I think we may have seen each other before. He decided that in our past lives, (laughs) he was a priest, I was a nun, and that we would converse with each other on either side of the wall. (laughs) You you knew each other 
in a past life. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I think we'll know each other again. Ah, oh, that is so lovely. Yes. Yeah. So what um what are you doing these days? I mean, how have you have, are you still doing personal assistant work? Yeah. Obviously, he was very impactful in your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, you surround yourself with that art and that 27,000 square foot home and everything else and uh of course um you know, it's uh it's something I could never do again. So what I did was I went back to the to area that I grew up in, which is Monmouth County, New Jersey. My father had a horse farm. I grew up on a horse farm I went back to to training horses oh great and, um, yeah and it's it's you know it, it it makes me happy and I feel like I'm you know with the most beautiful animals on earth and uh you know uh, that's when we had the country house Bob actually allowed me to buy seven horses and we had seven horses up at the country house and I would take people out on trail rides but once you know Bob passed away we lost all of that so I went to uh to my hometown, and that's what I do. I work with horses. So, what do you think Bob would be doing if he were alive today? And and um and how do you think he would feel about what's going on in the world? He probably would have become even more reclusive and kept painting um, more so than he was able to before he died because he loved to paint and it was very rewarding for him. You know, he he was very private, so I think he would have continued to live a very private life, but he would never really uh, put anything down that was going around him. It was something he would accept. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me. It's been my pleasure. My pleasure, too, and good luck with everything that you that you do. I hope to write a book or something like that. You know, I'll have to wait till uh, they start banging, knocking my door down, but um, that would be a very special time for me if I could write uh, my story and share it with everyone. So we'll see what happens, but um, it's been lovely speaking with you. Thanks. I look forward to reading that book. Okay. <laughs> All right, take care now. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Always new. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.